disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, this is a crazy episode. We're going to do a three-parter here. I mean, it's all in one episode, but I mean, it's going to have three distinct parts. Uh, I recently filled in for my friend uh, Cruiser on WVLK in Lexington, and I had some pretty high-profile guests on. We uh, we had Senator Mitch McConnell, we had uh, Senator Rand Paul, and we had uh, John Lott with the Crime Prevention Research Center. Um, the day that I did this was the day after the Boulder mass shooting, and uh, so some of this might be just slightly dated, but I want to air it again anyway because... We're going to talk about some important statistics on firearms and firearm um, usage and uh, law-abiding citizens and how many times a law-abiding citizen actually commits a crime, so on and so forth. We're going to talk to uh, Mitch McConnell about the filibuster and Senator Rand Paul about the filibuster as well. These are all still relevant. Um, We're also going to talk about guns with both of the senators. And with Senator Rand Paul, uh, it's very interesting and moving to hear his experience of having been involved having been a victim of a mass shooting, not a victim, rather a survivor of a mass shooting um, himself. And uh, he talks, of course, about Steve Scalise, who was uh, someone who survived but was uh, was shot and wounded. So we're going to we're gonna get into all of those. And we're going to go kind of back to back to back. So I just thought this would be kind of a fun episode to put together so you could hear from the two Kentucky senators. It's kind of cool, man. I don't think – actually, you know what? I've never done in a podcast before where I had both of the senators from the state of Kentucky on at the same time. So this will be kind of fun. Uh, And then, of course, we're going to start it off with John Lott because we're going to talk statistics on firearms. So that is coming at you in just a second. First, though, I want to thank my friends at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. As you know, I do not talk about businesses that I do not fully believe in. And I fully believe in Louisville Cabinets and Countertops because I've been a customer of theirs. And I know Tim. I know uh, his crews. I know I know the fact I know his designers. I know the the people on his staff. I know the work ethic that they have. And I've experienced it firsthand. When we were still living in Kentucky, uh, Tim did our mas- our kitchen and our master bathroom. And I'm confident that one of the reasons our house sold so quickly was because of how beautiful the kitchen was. And um, so, and, and at the time that they did our kitchen, we weren't planning to move or sell the house. I mean, we loved the house we were in. We had great property. We were kind of out in the country a little bit. And it was a beautiful home, but we just it just needed that one thing. And Tim brought, and his crew brought that one thing to it. So then when the opportunity to move out west popped up when we put the house in the market it sold in less than a day and and i i i firmly believe that the kitchen is is the heart of the home it's the space that matters most to people in terms of uh entertaining and that kind of thing and it really makes a house and so that was just really a great experience we had with them so i want you to have that experience too if you're thinking about remodeling your house um the kitchen is the heart and so make sure you do it right and make sure you have Louisville Cabinets and Countertops do it for you. If you're looking at a turnkey remodel, call 502-930-3304 and talk to their uh, staff. They've got great uh, folks on staff, designers, Michelle, Kelly, Paul, uh, George. They'll all take good care of you. Now, if you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, you already know exactly what you want, check it out. they got cabinets in stock, high quality, very affordable and they've got any kind of uh, surface that you want for your countertop as well. So check them out at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. 
Go out to the uh, showroom at 6200 Hit Lane or give them a call at 502-930-3304. So we're going to start with John Lott and our conversation with him from a couple of weeks ago on uh, WVOK in Lexington. We know for a fact that there is less crime when there are more law-abiding gun owners and gun carriers. We know for a fact that the vast majority of crimes, violent crimes, that are committed using firearms as a tool are not committed with AR-15s. Joining us on the line now is John Lott. He is the author of several books um, regarding the issue of firearms, including a gun, or excuse me, a book called More Guns, Less Crime. John, welcome. Thanks for coming on this afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me on. Um, first of all, the president, and he went on to say, save lives. Do you concur that banning assault weapons will decrease the number of mass shootings? No, and I don't think uh, the vast majority of academic research shows that. Uh, you know, to the notion that somehow you ban guns based on how they look rather than how they function uh, has never really been obvious to me. I mean, at least there'd be some logic to it if you were to say we're going to ban all semi-automatic rifles or some, all semi-automatic guns but to ban some based upon how they look. So the key term is something called military style. They often say this is a military style weapon, uh, but they don't function like a military weapon. They don't have automatic I mean, people watch shows. All the crime TV shows are showing people firing machine guns all the time. It's really amazing. You think in Chicago or Hawaii or on Hawaii Five O or Chicago PD, all the criminals have machine guns, and they call them AR-15s, but that's not the way an AR-15 works. They fire the same bullets with the same rapidity, doing the same damage as a small caliber uh, hunting rifle. Uh, semi-automatic guns is one pull the trigger, one bullet comes out, it reloads itself, one pull the trigger, one bullet comes out. And the thing is, Civilians who use guns defensively benefit from having semi-automatic guns. Uh, you know, if you have multiple attackers or you fire and you miss or you fire and you wound but don't incapacitate the attacker, being able to go and, and quickly fire a, another round may be what saves your life there. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, so, you know, if they want to go and ban all semi-automatic weapons, let's have that debate there on that. Uh, they don't want to do that. They want to mischaracterize, and, and the media helps them mischaracterize uh, the types of guns here. Look, guns make it easier for bad things to happen. There's no doubt about it. The big thing that affects the number of people who get hurt in these attacks isn't whether they have a so-called assault weapon or not, it's how many guns they bring to the scene. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the big thing, Ted Cruz today, I thought, did an excellent job in the Senate hearing. Um, the one thing that he emphasized is that these attacks keep on occurring in places where civilians are banned from having guns, these so-called yes. gun-free zones. These attackers are not you know, it may be crazy, but they're not stupid. They want to go to places where victims aren't able to go and defend themselves because they know if they go there, 
uh, it's going to be relatively easier for them to obtain their goal, and that is to kill as many people as possible so they can get more media news coverage. These people are often motivated by they want to commit suicide, but they want to go and commit suicide in a way that's going to get them uh, attention. Yeah, the, I saw <clears throat> I saw a screenshot of the door of this particular King Supers, uh, again, which is the same as Kroger in Kentucky, and they had a no firearms sign on that front door. Uh, the left is making a big deal, and this is, again, I love the misdirection of the media. They're making a big deal out of the fact that a judge just struck Boulder's ban on AR-15s down this last week. And they're pretending as though that is the reason this guy suddenly was able to go out and possess a, an AR-15 because up until then he was suppressing his desire to shoot lots and lots of people uh, until he was then allowed to have an AR-15, which is dumb because this guy was from Arvada, Colorado, which is on the other side of Denver. He wasn't from Boulder. He didn't live in Boulder. And Boulder's ban, whether it existed or not, on AR-15s wouldn't have stopped him uh, regardless. So, again, we get a lot of well, that I mean, sort of misdirection is, in the media I mean, the because it's is, convenient. Right. I mean, these guys don't even ask questions. Did he buy the gun in the last week? You know, it's not – it's like – Right. It's like right. they can throw out things. So, like today, I, I don't know how many times – I heard, and of course Biden chimed in on this too, not just the assault weapons ban, but the need for uh, these changes in the background check rules. And I guess I just want to know one example this century where these background check rules that they, would, that they keep pushing after each of these mass public shootings, just one case, just tell me one case where if it had been in effect and had been enforced perfectly, would have stopped any of these mass public shootings, because I don't know of a single case that it would have stopped. And yet it's the go-to thing that they bring up time after time in these cases. Yeah. Well, and because there's, it's easier to blame the inanimate object, the gun, than it is to blame what could potentially be causing the moral and mental crisis that Americans are having that's leading us uh, to potentially carry out more violence on each other. And again, if you don't, I, I think back to what you said while ago when you talked about guns make it easier for more for bad things to happen. That's true. Just like, you know, faster and faster cars make it easier for bad things to happen. You know, well, they also make uh, various it easier for things people that to we protect can now themselves and te- prevent bad things from happening. And the question right. is, what's the net effect? Yeah. You know, one, just following up on one point you just yeah. made, and that is you, you focus on America. Um, the United States has well below the average rate of mass public shootings in the world. Uh, we make up almost 5% of the world population. We have less than 1% of the world's mass public shooters. And, um, uh, you know, you, there are lots of countries in Europe. Uh, when you get out of Europe, there are a lot of countries that have much, much, much higher rates of uh, mass public shootings, uh, shooters, uh, casualties, deaths than we have here in the United States. I mean, just take a country like France. In one year, 2015, France had more casualties from mass public shootings than the United States had during the entire eight years of the Obama presidency. Um, You know, a country like Russia has a has a rate of mass public shootings that's like 50% higher than the rate in the United States. But we don't hear about these types of cases. Um, you know, uh, 
you know, you'll hear about some cases like the New Zealand uh, mosque shooting, but you wouldn't know that within less than 24 hours of that case, there was a big school shooting in Brazil. Uh, there was a mass public shooting in the Netherlands. Um, you know, to the extent that these cases get any news coverage, it may be one small story in the back of a newspaper someplace. And people people don't remember. They don't hear about it to begin with. It doesn't lead the national news. And uh, it really... My, my guess is the entire debate that we have right now about mass public shootings would be different if two types of things got at least a little bit of news coverage. One is the fact that these attacks keep on occurring over and over and over again in places where guns are banned. Um, if even once in a while the media would say, oh, we've had yet another mass public shooting where guns were banned, that these attackers picked an area where victims were particularly vulnerable, um, I think the debate would be different. And also, if once in a while they would mention cases where attacks tried to occur in places where people were allowed to have guns and they were stopped. On our website at crimeresearch.org, um, we have literally dozens of cases in just the last few years of what police have said otherwise would have been mass public shootings if it wasn't for the presence of a concealed carry permit holder. You know, anybody who's read my academic work knows that I think police are extremely important. I think that they're probably the single most important factor for reducing crime, but the police themselves know that they virtually always arrive on the crime scene after the crime's committed, and that raises a question, what should people do by themselves? But when you're talking about these mass public shootings, police have an unbelievably difficult job and a, and a heroic job. I mean, if you're one police officer let's say, trying to guard a school or trying to guard some other place, and, and it's a gun-free zone, so you're the only person that has a weapon there, and an attack occurs, who do you think is the one person they're going to shoot at first? Who do you think they're going to try to take out first? Yeah. It's going to be the police officer. Because once they take out the police officer, then they're going to have free reign to go after other people. Having people with permitted concealed handguns actually makes the job of the police officer safer because these killers then know that even if they can identify the one police officer who's in uniform there that has a gun, they have to worry that if they start going after the police officer, there may be somebody behind them or to the side who will, you know, they'll reveal their presence, the attacker will, and, and the permit holder may be able to stop them. Yeah. Before I let you go, one other quick question. There was an assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004. Was there an appreciable drop in mass shootings during that period of time and an appreciable increase afterwards or not? No, there wasn't. And even more so, what you need to look at is the percentage of the attacks that did occur with these so-called assault weapons. And if, it's, if right. whatever changes you're going to have are, is driven by the assault weapons ban, then the share of attacks with assault weapons should have fallen when the ban was in place and should have right. gone up afterwards, and you see the opposite. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Fascinating. John Lott, um, author of More Guns, Less Crime, and that website again so people can go to it and check it out for statistics. Yeah, it's crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. 
Okay, perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. So after we talked to John Lott, we brought on Senator Rand, or excuse me, Senator Mitch McConnell. We're going to talk to him about the, the gun issue, but also the filibuster and how important that is to the tradition of the United States Senate. So here's that conversation. Right now, though, let's bring on the uh, Republican leader in the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell. How are you, sir? It's good to have you back on the air with us. Hey, Leland. Welcome back. Um, I'm kind of glad to talk to you because there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, it's been a big news day the last couple of days. I know we're going to talk about the filibuster here in just a minute. I have some questions from some listeners for you. But uh, the first one that I really want to kind of dive into is this issue of what happened in Boulder yesterday. Uh, it's a terrible tragedy. It's a terrible, awful event. Um, and yet, less than 24 hours after 10 people were killed, we have the President of the United States essentially uh, using this for political purposes and asking for an assault weapons ban. What are your thoughts on the President today? Well, every time one of these horrendous shootings occurs, and they happen entirely too often, uh, we end up in a discussion again about gun rights instead of what is the vexing problem that we all know creates these situations, which is mental illness. And it is extraordinarily difficult to identify uh, people who have this kind of illness in advance. And I don't think there are any kind of laws we could pass that would better enable us to identify people who have this kind of mental disability, which has been at the root of every one of these horrible atrocities. Do you think, I mean, it sounds like you you kind of agree with my position on this and that it it has to do with, um, really, it's it's more of a morality issue and a right and wrong issue and a lack of male role models issue for young males um, that about the firearm itself and and it feels as though that the president is saying look um if you guys just give up one of your god-given rights that's you know demonstrated clearly in the constitution then we can somehow save some lives but i don't think people realize that also means giving up important freedoms and in this case a freedom that actually puts a check and balance on government power yeah, and the dilemma is that no matter how you craft these uh, gun control laws um, it, it's impossible to prevent someone who is mentally ill, who is deranged to this extent, from finding some way uh, to um, perpetrate an atrocity like this. And uh, so it, it's a perplexing problem. You know, they've experienced these kind of things in Europe as well, where they have much, much tighter gun control laws than we do. And we all know that in communities that have local restrictions that are quite severe, uh, there seems to be no correlation between that and the murder rates and the uh, examples that we've witnessed in Georgia and Colorado here in the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, if anything, there's higher levels of uh, violent crime in areas where criminals feel safe, where they feel like that the law-abiding citizens are going to obey the rules and not have anything to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of the dilemmas of of our time that no one has a good answer for. Yeah. Um, The filibuster. The left really wants to get rid of it right now. They really loved it 
when you guys were in charge. Um, in fact, saying things that now when you play the tape back seem so hypocritical. Uh, but there's always an excuse, I guess. Um, are we in danger of losing the filibuster? And really, if so, essentially the Republican, and I say that with a small R, not a big R, form of government, yeah, well, I mean, the Senate was designed on purpose to be a place where things slowed down, where bad ideas did not get passed, and where compromise was uh, brokered where possible. And what ensures that is the fact that on the legislative side of what we do, it requires 60 votes, not just 51, to pass legislation. So it didn't have that good an election last November. You know, we ended up with a 50-50 Senate and they have a tiny majority in the House, nevertheless are audaciously trying to remake America in their own image, and they see that uh, the supermajority requirement on the legislative calendar in the Senate is the only thing in their way. Well, fortunately, there are at least two Democrats who are not suffering from memory loss and who remember how they were all cheering for this uh, during the six years we were in the majority when they used it frequently to uh, stop legislation that we preferred. They didn't have any problem with it then, so it's pretty obvious that, you know, where you stand on this depends upon where you sit. And at the moment, they have a majority in the House and Senate, a very, very narrow majority in the Senate, and a president every bit as liberal as I thought he would be from the beginning. I never thought Joe Biden would be a moderate. He, he wasn't when he's in the Senate. He's not now. So the filibuster really stands between us and, and the liberalization of America. Um, normally, I ignore Kentucky's sole Democratic uh, member of the House, uh, John Yarmouth, uh, but I chose to rebut him <laughs> the other day and re- point out that the filibuster in the Senate uh, prevents uh, the urbanization of all of these legislation prevents the passage of things that are good for Brooklyn and San Francisco, but not so good for Louisville uh, or Somerset or uh, Owensboro. And uh, it's one of the ways that small states still maintain some influence in our system. Big deal. Yeah, there was, uh, there the was a lot of talk. They think Sorry, go ahead. between them and their version of what America ought to be like. Yeah, I lived in the Louisville area and um, I deliberately moved into Massey's district because I didn't want to be in Yarmouth's district because I've seen his wish list of what he would like to see. And and it's it's not what most Americans want. Um so how do you stop them from banning the filibuster? Because it is a rule. It's not like a constitutional thing. It's a rule set by the Senate. Oh, it's a Senate how, rule. How would they? It's a Senate uh, rule. They would have and, um, yeah. It could be done with a simple majority, and that would mean every, every one of the 50 Democrats uh, with the vice president and the chair doing it. Fortunately, there are two Democrats, Senator Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, who said under no circumstances will yeah. they do it. But that's who we're depending on. Uh, to, to show you how strongly Republicans feel about this, the former president wanted me to do that when we were in the majority. I said no to him because I think it, the legislative filibuster is the essence of the Senate. 
the one way you can make sure bad ideas don't pass. And one thing the Democrats ought to think about if they do this is someday the shoe will be on the other foot. And how would they like it if we steamrolled through everything we wanted? Just to give an example, how about national right to work? Uh, they're, they're trying to override state right to work laws in one of the bills that's cleared the House already. Um, they need to think about the fact that in the democracy we live in, sooner or later, the shoe's on the other foot. Well, I think I think Senator McConnell, I think they're they're counting on the fact that they're going to pass this um, this bill, the For the People Act, which will forever alter the way our elections work and allow massive voter fraud um, and take away states control of their own elections. And they think they won't need to worry about elections again in the future. That's what I think their calculation is. I agree with you. That's what they think. They also want to admit D.C. and Puerto Rico as states giving them four new Democratic senators in perpetuity. They have an audacious, uh, consuming desire uh, to move America dramatically to the left to the point where most of us wouldn't recognize it again. They need to be stopped, and the way we stop them is with at least one or two Democrats who will withstand all the pressure that's going to be brought to bear on them. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last thing for you before you go. Uh, listener Rebecca writes in. She says she heard this morning someone talking about taxing Social Security. She wants to know if that's a thing that's being discussed uh, and if you can provide the answer for that. Well, what I can tell you is taxes in general are, are designed by the Democrats to go up dramatically on all of us. They are contemplating now another what we call reconciliation bill that they could pass with a simple majority, just like they did the big $1.9 trillion bill that not a single Republican in the House or Senate voted for. And they do intend to jam into that higher taxes on almost everyone. And so that would be the danger uh, expressed uh, by your caller. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, Senator McConnell, I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today and uh, for giving us your thoughts on the breaking news going around in, in, with the Boulder shooting as well. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Leila. All right. That's Senator Mitch McConnell. Um, you know what, what occurred to me when he was talking about the filibuster? Isn't it weird that someone who is not a U.S. senator could decide Senate rules in a 50-50 split? Because that's what Vice President Harris who's no longer a senator, would be deciding the rules for the Senate. That doesn't seem fair. Great talking with Senator Mitch McConnell. And now here from a couple of weeks ago on WVLK is my conversation with Senator Rand Paul, who himself survived a mass shooting. But we have a fundamental right to defend ourselves, not just in our homes, wherever we are. And that might scare some people. But if you look at law-abiding citizens, less than 1% of violent crimes are committed by law-abiding citizens who carry concealed carry weapons. I'm with us now, Senator Rand Paul. Senator Paul, thanks for coming on. How are you? Hey, Leland. Welcome back to Lexington. <laughs> it's, it's always good to be home, <laughs> sir. Always good to be home. Hey, um, listen, I know that you have, uh, I guess, probably a very interesting take on what happened in Boulder as someone who survived a mass shooting yourself. Uh, what was your reaction today to the president less than 24 hours after this shooting already attempting to wrongly blame guns and ban assault weapons? 
Well, you know, I think any time these tragedies happen, the first impulse ought to be compassion for the family and for the human emotions of having lost somebody. Uh, I hate the idea of politicizing it on either side, really. I mean, I just, uh, you know, these were, you know, people that you know, people you go to church with, somebody's wife, somebody's husband, you know, the policeman had seven kids, you know, who were mourning the loss of, of their dad. And so, um, no, I kind of wish that they they wouldn't do that. But the left, I think, seems to become expert at this, that uh, with every tragedy, um, they want to, you know, get some kind of uh, score points in a way. And it's 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 sad. Uh, as somebody who's been through that before, and I know we've talked about this before, too, but, you know, what I want what I don't want to happen is my wife and I were having this conversation last night. She goes, I'm almost numb to it now. And. I don't want people to be numb to this. So maybe you can help by describing what you went through, like how that felt to be under fire from somebody who was trying to kill you. You know, the time that I was under fire, the shooter shot about 200 rounds, and uh, Steve Scalise was wounded the worst. And I think from... You know, when you see something, as far as a visible injury, you think, oh, well, that's really small, just a tiny little hole in his hip. And you think, well, it can't surely be that bad. But it shattered his 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 femur, his uh, pelvis, uh, went through major blood vessels, went through his intestines, and, uh, you know, just wreaked habit. He had his entire blood supply uh, transfused in the first 24 hours. Um I was in right field in the batting cage and exited the batting cage after the first couple of shots and was behind an oak tree. And one staffer ran to me from left field, and I'm in right field and was shot about 10 feet from me, but there was about a 20-foot chain-link fence. About that time, the guy that was with him climbed over the fence. But the entire attack that I was part of probably lasted five or six minutes, Uh, but it seemed like an eternity. It seemed like it lasted an hour. Now, the shooting today, one of the reports said it lasted 40 minutes. That's a long time. You know? Yeah, they didn't. They and, didn't, they didn't uh, t- you know, the one policeman was bravely trying to bring him down, was then killed, and they didn't know where he was in the store. And, you know, time is of the essence. But, uh, you know, it's obviously a great tragedy for those who died. But for those who do survive, they'll, they'll never forget it. And uh, it does make you more apprehensive when uh, – when I hear uh, gunshots, I'm a little bit uh, more wary that it's not just, uh, or it might not be someone just practicing or hunting. It might be something more. So yeah. uh, I wouldn't say I'm paranoid, but I'm much more conscious if I hear gunshots to uh, kind of check my surroundings. Yeah, no doubt. I think it was, you were right, it was almost an hour after he started shooting that he was finally taken into custody and, and wounded. And there, I was talking about earlier how these types of incidents bring out both the worst and the best in humanity. Obviously, the worst being somebody who's so filled with hate that they would go and shoot somebody. The best, we were hearing stories about young people because it was an area close to the to uh, Colorado University of Colorado. There was a lot of young people there uh, in the store. There were also a lot of elderly people there, and the, we were hearing stories of these young people helping to escort the elderly out of the uh, out of the store to make sure that they're they they were safe. And and that's the kind of thing where you see that, and you're like, there are still heroes among us. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like the guy probably had mental illness, and this is sort of a a recurring theme and not easily fixable, you know, through legislation or policy. But uh, I think the only way we could imagine that it would be fixable is if someone actually commits a crime or 
um, actually is, uh, you know, attempting a crime or threatens a crime that it, they, they could be convicted for, that you might be able to stop something like this. Um, and that's that's the difficulty in this, you know, if this is the first episode, if there had been another crime, and who knows if we'll find out if we had committed other crimes, there probably is a way that we could stop some of these if people have committed previous crimes and making sure that uh, somehow we've got them separated um, either from the public or from weapons if they've committed a crime that justifies that. So let's talk about um, some of the stuff that's going on in the news besides this. Um, I know that uh, you guys are dealing with a fight over the filibuster. We talked to Senator McConnell a little bit earlier. Um, are we really in danger of losing that, or do you think that your colleagues on the Democratic side of the aisle, Kristen Sinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin from West Virginia, will continue to hold the line and protect really a Republican form of government? And by that, I don't mean Republican Party. I mean Republican as a little R. Well, and the thing about the filibuster is it keeps the country from marching too quickly to the right or to the left, and you never get completely what you want. People will remember that President Trump railed on it all the time when he was president and we controlled the Senate and the House. He wanted to get rid of the filibuster so he could get more of what his, his platform was through. And yet we resisted it. Senator McConnell resisted it. And the vast majority of Republicans resisted it because they think it uh, – you know, a lot of bad ideas float around up here. Over 250 years, we've probably had more bad ideas than good ideas originate in Congress. So it's kind of good that a lot of bad ideas don't actually become law. And so the filibuster does serve that purpose. And um, I think it would be a real mistake to get rid of it. And interestingly, many of the Democrats, there were like 14 Democrats that signed a letter just a couple of years ago saying they weren't going to get rid of the filibuster. Cory Booker, two years ago, was saying you know, the filibuster was absolutely necessary to protect the minority. Now he's all over the place saying that the filibusters, if you support the filibuster, you're a racist. So they're playing this race card, which is just, to me, obnoxious, because um, I think there's probably, you know, very few epithets worse than being called that, and nobody wants to believe that they're so uh, ill-educated or uncivilized as to be someone who would base their you know, beliefs on race, and yet he's just sort of with a broad brush saying if you're opposed to the filibuster, you're somehow a racist. And I think that's a real mistake to try to dumb down policy and every other dispute we have between the parties, and then all of a sudden you just have to be calling people names. And I think that really brings out the lowest common denominator in people. And actually it's what sparks people to violence, to think, oh, my goodness, this is such a terrible thing to be, you know, for the filibuster that somehow you must be a person that – violence against and so i think we ought to all kind of be careful about our about our language and about the way we describe things you know and be able to disagree with each other without thinking that somehow everybody that disagrees with us is evil i couldn't agree more that's it's a really great point that makes me think though i mean you and you and cory booker senator booker have worked together on legislation in the past I, I I assume that you were a lot like uh, the senator from Oregon, Ron Wyden, where you have a friendship with them. Is that weird? How much of what goes on in terms of what politicians actually say is really just theater? Because, I mean, how can you have a beer with a guy after he's called you a racist because you don't support the uh, getting rid of the filibuster, right? Like, how much of that is theater? Well, it's gotten worse, to tell you. I've tried very hard on several issues like criminal justice reform, on issues of war, to work with the other side and still do. But I can tell you that, you know, on January 6th, um, you know, we had the riot, we had the problem with the Capitol. The idea that Democrats would then look at Republican senators and say, 
we're going to put you up on ethics charge for your political position of not wanting to seat the electors. Now, I did vote to seat the electors because I think states should get to decide this and you should go along with what the state sends you. But some who didn't that I disagreed with, I don't think they're evil or deserve censure. But the Democrats, seven of them, you know, asked that uh, Holly and Cruz. And uh, this to me is, uh, I don't know how those could talk to each other at all. How would you talk to someone who thinks that yeah. you should be actually censured for your political opinion? To me, I don't get that at all, and I don't know how we're going to get back to civility here. They blame it all on Donald Trump, but it's really their response to Donald Trump that's made this bad, made this a place that uh, where it's very difficult to have civil conversation. So let's talk about the debt, Senator Paul. I know that you've been a tireless crusader against spending money we don't have. Uh, the president is now talking about raising taxes. Uh, and everybody who makes over 400000 and 200000 if you're an individual, a lot of people saying, well, that doesn't bother me because it doesn't affect me. Uh, but we're, we're talking about unless, a $3 unless trillion. You sell, dollar pro- unless you sell $600 on eBay or work as right. an Uber driver, now they're going to be taxing you at a much lower level. So it's all bunk. They'll, they'll say they're going to tax the rich, but read, read between the lines and read the small print. There's yeah. going to be taxes on a lot of us. But as far as the debt yeah. goes... In a good year before COVID, we'd bring in $3 trillion and we'd spend $4 trillion. So we run an annual deficit of about a trillion dollars. Now, we've added last year, we added about 3 to $4 trillion in COVID bailout money. That went right on top of the debt. So the debt last year was between 5 and $6 trillion. This year, we've already spent $2 trillion above and beyond what we normally spend. They're talking about $3 trillion more in the next month or two. So they're going to be $5 trillion in spending above our normal level. So we add the $1 trillion we borrow every year. We're looking at a 5 to $6 trillion deficit two years in a row. This is alarming. I think we could, uh, you know, there's a danger that they could destroy our currency and really destroy the underpinnings of, our, of our, the very foundation of our economy. Who are we borrowing that money from? Are we borrowing it from China, or are we borrowing it from future selves? Who who are we borrowing it from? Literally, you know, you borrow it from whoever buys the Treasury bills. So the people who buy the Treasury bills are sometimes foreign countries, sometimes private investors, but often it's the Federal Reserve. When the Federal Reserve does it, I think you can legitimately say that that's our kids and our grandkids because they're creating currency, they're creating money to uh, buy the debt, that money comes out of nowhere, so that money steals value from the future users of the currency, and that's our kids and our grandkids. So over time, nothing is really free in life. So if I print up money or if I give you a stimulus check, you can go out and spend it. But after a while, people catch up to the, the hoax, and when they catch up to the hoax, prices rise, and you find that your dollars don't buy what they used to buy. And then the people who get squeezed in the inflationary cycle are those of lower wages and lower income. So it's really a dishonest uh, yeah. sort of ploy by Democrats. They say they want to help the working class and the poor, but when they destroy the currency, they end up hurting the working class and the poor the most. Yeah, I know you got to run, and I got to run too. But real quick, I just want to thank you for owning Doctor pa- Doctor Fauci. Uh, the the whole thing about wearing two masks after you've been vaccinated that that was uh, that was fun audio. I'll play a little bit of that after you after we get done here. Yeah, the uh, the whole idea that uh, he doesn't believe in his own science. They seem to, they claim that they believe in science, but here they are. They're already vaccinated and they're immune, wearing two masks, and it is complete theater. 
There is no scientific evidence that there is any kind of spread from people who have been vaccinated or from people who have already had the disease. So we're approaching this uh, herd immunity. We're approaching a time when the disease is going to be fully controllable. And my advice to people is don't listen to Dr. Fauci. If you've been immunized or if you've had it naturally, you don't need to wear a mask. Right on. Senator Rand Paul, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. See you. So that might be actually one of the most wide-ranging uh, podcasts we've ever done, just simply by the nature of the guests that we had on. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, in the next episode, uh, either the next one or the one after that, I'm not sure which one's going to drop first. Got my people working on it. Uh, Cameron Mills is back. We're going to talk about uh, criminal justice reform. It's a very riveting conversation. And then a- as well, we're also going to talk to uh, a guy from the cast of Bigfoot, uh, Finding Bigfoot, this TV show on Animal Planet. And we're going to ask them straight up, how come they've never found a body? And he has rather interesting answers. So those are both episodes coming up this week on the Disruption Zone. So I hope you will stay tuned. Thank you for all the downloads. Gosh, we appreciate you guys. We actually topped 70,000, which is amazing. We're getting thousands of downloads a week. Uh, It's just growing exponentially more than I ever thought it would. And uh, I just want to say thanks to you and those of you that listen regularly we've got a lot of big things in store i promise you some amazing stuff is coming down the pike so keep sharing us with your friends uh it's apple Podcasts, google play iHeartRadio's app all of those are free you can just subscribe download and please leave us a great review because that helps push it out to even more people big thanks to our sponsor louisville cabinets and countertops for always being there for us we appreciate them it's louisville cabinets and countertops.com they did our kitchen and master bath As you know, I don't talk about businesses I don't fully believe in. I know Tim. I know his crews. These guys love the work they do. They take pride in their work. And that's kind of a prerequisite for me if I'm going to have a contractor in my house. And when they did our kitchen in Kentucky, uh, we enjoyed it for several years. And then we sold the house. And I'm confident that the house sold so quickly, less than a day, uh, because of the beautiful kitchen. It just made that. It was a beautiful home to begin with. And that kitchen just made it perfect. Um, and so if you're looking to remodel your kitchen, I, I suggest a turnkey where you just tell them what you want and they make it happen um, by calling their designers or sta- stopping by uh, 6200 Hit Lane and talking to Michelle, Kelly, or George, or 502-930-3304. Or if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've got plenty of beautiful, high-quality, affordable cabinets in stock ready for your project. So that is also something you can look at that at the, at the website, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. But a big thank you to them for continuing to support our program. We certainly appreciate it. We appreciate you. As I said, uh, you can download us on uh, or you can uh, follow us on Instagram. It's at great uh, at greatly Londo and at the disruption zone on Twitter. It's at Leland show and at zone disruption. And of course, the disruption zone with Cameron Mills and Leland Conway on Facebook. So please follow us there. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks to JP Web Design and Dynamics Audio Productions for their help with the show as well. And thanks to my missing most of the time, good for nothing, ne'er do well, co-host and co-executive producer Cameron Mills, who will be back on this week. Uh, thanks to him as well. Thank you for listening. I am Leland Conway, the Disruption Channel.